Yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried. I'm. I feel good. Cool. Yeah. Um, how are you holding up there in the uh, Eastern Time Zone? Has it uh, seceded from America and created as part of the creation of some sort of fascistic um, rump state or something? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like with this uh, vaccine now, I feel like maybe there's enough uh, hope going on that maybe people are, um, you know, uh, feeling a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't think it's real, but I feel like people are probably um, relaxing for a little bit, like. A lot of places are talking about open up, opening up again, stuff like that. I, I, I feel like it's premature, but I mean, mm. what do I know? Yeah, well, like the with the variants, you know, um, there's a, there's different factors. I mean, uh, hope is kind of a tricky one right now because, I mean, I, I've I've kind of assumed this whole time. Look, like most human pandemics, are last a period of approximately eighteen months to like three years or whatever. So we're looking at like a chunk of time, but we're gonna come out of this and. Now it's 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 looking like maybe like you know there's there's at least some percentage chance um, that this is in fact the first twenty minutes of a of an action movie, yeah. and in fact like we do we do go down like like a really hellish path. I'm I'm not I'm not completely there yet in terms of just embracing the dread of it. The dread is 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 on the horizon. It's lurking just out of sight, but I haven't yet allowed it full access to my, to my mental faculties. I've been much too busy. I think yeah. that's probably. You know, you see that a lot of these action movies too. It's like the zombie apocalypse <laughs> starts and people are just like, oh, you know, I got a lot of emails I got to get to. And they like use their emails and stuff as a, as a means to avoid having to deal with the, uh, the pending apocalypse. Mm, yeah. I mean, I don't um, know. It's, 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 a, it's hard to make any predictions at this point. I mean, I, I thought the stock market was going to crash like for months and mm. it just keeps hitting records. So you have no idea what anything means. Yeah, this well, the stock market. I mean, um, I haven't released it yet, but I was talking about this with uh, with a, a, a recent guest. Like, the stock market is like so disconnected from like the economic fundamentals. And I say that as a layman, like it's not it's not something I know a ton about. But like yeah. uh, the, the 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 setup is that I was talking to this woman at a bar years ago, who was telling me she was a stockbroker, and I like made some comment about the fundamental the quote unquote economic fundamentals to like try and impress her obviously yeah. but i i didn't like i had nothing in the bag after that if, if there was <laughs> if there's any kind of decent follow-up question i was totally screwed yeah. um but then the stock market i don't know i mean so what does that mean just buy like an index fund then just put all your money in, in a, an index fund i guess yeah, most I mean, people, I, most yeah. people are responsible enough to say that they don't give financial advice when they're not qualified on their podcast you'll notice yeah. uh, uh very uh I've, I've very ostensibly not made that same disclaimer for some unknown <laughs> reason. Yeah, I mean. Oh, by the way, are we recording? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I know we've been recording for a little bit. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll just that's that's as good a place as any to uh, get us started off. So, uh, welcome everyone. Uh, on a world spinning its way to damnation amid the fear and despair of the entire human race, who is left to fight for what's good and pure? That's right. It's night rule. I'm joined today by uh, someone entering the prestigious Three Timers Club. We have T from Champagne Sharks. This is a, our third Champagne Sharks Night Rule crossover. Been a fruitful collaboration so far, I must say. I was I was greatly looking forward to this uh, to getting a chance to talk again. So oh yeah, likewise, tea. likewise, likewise. I um enjoy coming on here. <clears throat> I've been. It's been a pretty busy. It's been a pretty busy 2021 so far. So it's like, um, 
sorry, so I just I think just went down the wrong the wrong pipe. It, but it's been good though. It's been good. I've been enjoying 2021 uh so far. Have you been able to stay motivated? Like 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 how how are you feeling? Have you are you in the same place where 2020 left you off? Are you in a better place? No, uh, definitely, in a, definitely in a better place. I think a lot of a lot of that has to do with like I just have a much more upgradable internet connection now. You know, like if I want the 600 megabit, you know, for for some reason because I've like hit it big. Because um, I recently relocated to uh, cohabitate with my lady friend, so I have kind of a very domestic uh, kind of atmosphere going on right now. Um, which suits me. So I'm actually, and I didn't, I didn't necessarily have that all of last year. Like there was still a lot of transit between places, you know, um, cause I still had my own place, but, uh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good just by nature of that. So plus, you know, I'm working again, I'm staying very busy. Um, cool. I'm really, I'm, 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 I'm doing my best to not just fuck up a basic shit because I'm making myself too busy. Like I, uh, I'm hoping to have, uh, uh, this guy Dave Austin on my podcast. Have you have you read the, his book? Uh, um, what's the name of his book? I, I know title. Fear, Fear of a Black Nation. Oh no, I haven't. So I haven't heard of him or the title. Yeah, it was Adnan Hussein recommended him. He's um, he's a scholar working out of uh, Eastern Canada, and he's written some really interesting books. I'm gonna I'm hoping to have him on. He wrote a book about uh, Linton Quasey Johnson as well. So I'm hoping to have him on the next uh, month or two here to uh, to talk about those books and stuff. He seems like a pretty interesting guy. But like I realized I hadn't even responded to him in like seven days because I've just been like so busy when like in my in my mind at the start of each one of those seven days, I was like, man, I really got to fucking email David. I don't want him. I don't want to let that sit too long. <laughs> mm. But uh, with email response times, you know. They, they, they vary widely. So I was well, I was still well within the range. Like I'm one of those people who has the, the imposter syndrome. So I've always... Um, well, no, I know I oscillate between imposter syndrome and, and doing too much and, uh, and being overmotivated to just becoming super, super lazy. I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, manic depressive. You're a doctor, right? No, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like uh, have you always been this way? I just feel like that uh, recently. More recently, um, like there's definitely been a, a, a wide a, a serious chunk of my life has been spent uh, just not being able to really like deal with stuff that well and uh, and not really being efficient or motivated or like focused. You know, it's weird. I feel like I'm not really Majority sure. Majority of my adult life, I would say, goes into that category. I'm not sure if it's easy to judge how well people are doing by that standard just because I feel like the amount of things you have to stay on top of as a person today, I think are so over the top. That's really hard to tell if like, I mean, there's a theory of like a, um, of the insane society and like different people have like had their own, I think independent correlations of, uh, the similar theory of, uh, how do you judge sanity in an insane society? And, you know, the idea that um, the only way to seem sane or to be judged in an insane society is to have um, the predominant, the, the dominant uh, form of insanity. Right. So that if you are uh, sane, you seem insane. And I always feel like a lot of these 
problems that people uh, think they have, they are problems for this particular society, but it's not really a problem with them. It's a problem with the um, of the society. Like I think that this society is kind of made for a type of freak, uh, a type of freak that is has the brain wired a certain way. Like I, I don't think most people through most of human history could function in this society. I think the real neurodivergent people are the ones who do just fine in this like type A fast paced five screens at a time um, more information um, assimilated and processed and juggled in a day than most people have to deal with in a year uh, society like I think I think uh, I mean that's, that's my personal feeling do you think that the people that like entrepreneur who's like do are hustling their own like have, have their own hustle or set of hustles and they're five screening it, do you think they're having an easier or harder time than someone who's like three or four screening it working uh, like a, a remote corporate type job somewhere? That's a good question. I don't like know. Who, I mean, who, who's, who's living the more toxic life? I mean, really, I'm honest. I'm honestly asking because it's not necessarily 100% clear to me anymore. I mean, I think they're both like insane in different ways, but I think the entrepreneurial one, I mean, it kind of depends because the entrepreneurial mindsets and everything now anyway, um, even like in the corporate world, like everyone is so into like their own brand and their own, like people talk about the professional managerial class and the managerial um, mindset has overtaken everything. But um, David Harvey, who I believe is like one of the main people that has helped formulate Oh, David Harvey is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the, like, probably the most famous geographer in the world, probably one of the most cited academics in the humanities. He's a, he's a a geographer as well. I had no idea. Well, that's how I knew him as like a, because he, I mean, in terms of, I think, I think geographers within geography, he's cited to a huge extent. And it's a subject that he definitely deals with. Um, That's kind of how I got introduced to him uh, when I was in school. So I'm not sure. How well that appellation holds but yeah oh interesting yeah you're right he's a geographer i know him as oh so he seems to be someone who's in a lot of who has a finger in a lot of different pies because... well the way the way i understand this and again part of this is me trying to talk up a woman who was an academic in geography that i was had a crush on you know 20 years ago this is because this is the prism book through which i see everything in life but anyways Geography, because like modern geography really has nothing to do with maps or anything like that. It's more almost like a cultural studies uh, or like a study of the movement of peoples type discipline. So it has it has a lot more depth that I had no idea about. And honestly, outside of like people like David Harvey, I haven't really explored at all. Yeah, I'm looking at his uh, Wikipedia now and he's called the economic geographer. So he's like a Marxist yeah. geographer. Which he like is applied Marxist principles to geography. He talks about creative like uh, destruction. Oh. So, you know, how like basically uh, the urban landscape, every once in a while, they're just going to tear shit the fuck down and replace it with whatever, because that's the, that's a, that's a destructive, a creative destructive force of capitalism on the city. Yeah. The whole Joseph uh, Schumpeter um, idea, you know, that makes sense. Cause what I read about him was, you know, uh, basically kind of predated the richard florida stuff and and it's true geography was in the stuff he was talking about he was talking about urban planning and stuff i just didn't think of it 
in terms of geography, but uh, yeah. he had this uh, well-known paper from managerialism to entrepreneurialism, this idea mm. that the we're moving from the dominant management paradigm uh, to everything, where everything is just, I mean, even like politics are seen as, is about managers now rather than leaders. Like, like it's not about being a leader anymore. It's about being a manager. And the, and the MBA, the manager mindset has overtaken everything. But now, uh, let me find the name of the paper because it's a very good, it's a very good uh, paper. Sure. Um, um, that sounds interesting. I mean, he's definitely like one of the top Marxist kind of thinkers out there in the public sphere as well, just in general, I, th I think it's safe to say. So it sounds like that that article is probably more, more in kind of just like a pure Marxist analysis. Oh, yeah. It's mode, from he definitely does. He does. He does mm -hmm. the, those great lectures on capital and stuff. He's definitely like yeah, top it's tier in that respect. It's called it's called from managerialism to entrepreneurialism. Uh, and he talks about how he he talks about how um, basically everything is kind of moving toward you know this personal brand, this entrepreneurial type of mindset, even in the politics and the. I feel like you can see it with politicians now when you look at how Obama is. If 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 Hillary and Bill Clinton and those types were the pinnacle of the managerial politician, mm. you know, um, then I feel like Obama is the peak of the entrepreneurial uh, model where he was always kind of um, building his brand in a very Oprah-esque way, you know, the oh, playlist. His whole life, yeah, his for, for decades. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And his post, his post, um, his post presidency is so entrepreneurial. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a it's almost defanged when you think about it. Like, yeah, like Hillary is more like you know she's she's someone you would expect to see as like the HR director at like a Fortune five hundred company. You know, she's like kind of an annoying suit. And then, yeah. but that's been replaced by like someone who like may may have had a real job at some point, but is also like has a huge YouTube channel, and they're just trying to get you to buy their ebook or whatever the f. Yeah, yeah, and I feel, oh, yeah, and I feel like that's what Obama really is. He's, oh, for sure, he's totally that dude. He's like the Tim Ferriss. Uh, he's the, he's like a Joe Rogan. I don't know something about him. He's just very, uh, of that ilk. He's just made for YouTube and all that stuff. Well, it's surprising how many of these people. I mean, I watched the Meghan and Harry thing last night, so I'm gonna have to ask you about that. But like these people who sign these like streaming deals to like create content, you know, Obama oh. was a big one. And oh I, yeah, I, just, I remember I, I turned to my girlfriend and I said, I turned to my girlfriend and said, you know, do they ever pay like writers to create the TV shows? Do these do writers ever sign these deals? Because you never hear about it. It's always yeah. like some random person who's because, like well known for deals, another reason. Because those deals aren't really writing deals. Those deals are development deals. Yeah. Development production deals in terms of they're going to hire the writers. Like it's just basically like a clout. It's a production company. You know, writers, I feel like uh, are getting seen as cheaper and cheaper. You know, I forgot the reason why I brought up the entrepreneurial thing. To go back to your answer, uh, this fact mm -hmm. that we're headed toward an entrepreneurial world makes me think that the entre the entrepreneur might actually be 
able to stay more sane in this kind of world with four screens because it's a uh, uh, the 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 current insanity of the world we're in is an entrepreneurial insanity. So I think he might be a little bit more more suited toward. I don't know. I mean, I mean, it might be. I I I might. I kind of I kind of suspect not personally, but it's pure suspicion. And and again, we should not like. It's really hard to make predictions right now. I think the entrepreneurialism thing is like is a is a is fluff. It's like colored bubbles. It's like it looks good, you know. Um, it sounds good, it tastes good, but it has no real like calories because ultimately, uh, like for example, like if you go and work for yourself for five years or you go and work at a bunch of small companies for a few years, um, you'll appreciate the structure of working at a bigger company after something like that. It's just the people that have been, that, that are going straight from school into a big company, they're, they're much more, I think, probably interested in breaking out like it's, 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 but it's like everyone, there's also a huge swath of the population under the age of like 35 who are just praying and hoping for some kind of fucking uh, grip on the, on the first rung of whatever ladder too, you know, more than ever. Yeah. So, I mean, this is what I think part of the problem is though, is that um, the, the world is so moving away from that corporate security that, you know, a lot of people, if you're going to be in that corporate world, it's like you've got to really go to Canada, the top schools and have the best network, like increasingly more and more, or just be very savvy or have some kind of privilege or connections or something. So what's kind of happening to me is, a lot of people in the corporate world kind of are quasi entrepreneurial to begin with because they're in such a precarious position versus a person that used to get hired one place, maybe change jobs once, twice in their life, get a pension and a nice um, severance package or retirement package and all that stuff. Now it's like even the corporate, even the corporate jobs are like, quasi gig economy jobs mm. uh so so i think um at least in the, so what i would say is this if you can get to the old school brass ring type of corporate job that keeps you employable and makes you um makes you gives you some kind of stability and security and uh you know, pivots you into being even in more demand to get bigger and better jobs, then, yeah, I think at the end of the day, they're still going to be in the best um, position, which I think is the kind of job that, that you're talking about, like a real corporate job. But I feel like the average corporate job is not really that anymore. And that's kind of the corporate job I'm 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 thinking of. I feel like they're yeah. kind of phasing that out more and more. Like, like the... Like, if people are talking about inequality and like, um, you know, this kind of wealth gap, I feel like there's like a job gap where you either going to be management and hire and like super secure or, you know, a, a surf. And there's very little in the middle anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to say, like, it's really hard to predict. Um, like so much of the economic activity has been disrupted so much lately too i mean and there's still questions about what uh, kind of effect automation could have in different industries 
I mean, we could be looking at, you know, in 20, 30 years, we could be looking at like a 50% unemployment rate on average with like a UBI type situation. Like that could, that seems quite likely to me. So at that point, that's gonna, that, that the fundamental nature of work will have been altered, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the UBI thing is gonna be hard. I don't know. I just don't see it working because I feel like too many people are against, like, like, I don't know what is up with people in America, but nobody really wants to believe that any crises are happening. They just expect uh, things to stay the way they are and things to get bailed out to keep them that way in a way. So it's like um, this, we have a pandemic and a pandemic couldn't get people to get on board with uh, socialized medicine. So can you imagine like like if that couldn't get people, you know, and yeah, and way, well, and the, the oligarchy, the oligarchy is to blame for that for sure. And that's that's the, the root of many problems, I think. I'm not sure if it's even just the oligarchy. I just think people are dumb. I just think people are dumb and set in their ways and they believe a lot of the myths of America. Like they just believe that, you know, um, like the, people are just ahistorical. They don't realize that the middle class is kind of fake. It's been propped up from the end of World War II. Everything else fell. America uh, stumbled into this huge um realm of prosperity and then they just uh use their position as the sole superpower and also mortgage the future generations and also didn't have to take care of everybody they just they could have this new deal and make it primarily benefit um white people and kind of create this anomalous throughout history um uh, widespread middle class that it now refuses to fund it uh, it created this fake middle class, said it was from hard work. And, you know, then people just grew up knowing nothing but that. It just started thinking that's how the world was. And it was and that they started believing the myth that it came from hard work. They didn't realize it came from FHA, Sally Mae, Fannie Mae and and uh, the New Deal and the GI Bill and all these um, government programs. They don't realize that this type of so this type of socialism gave him this world they really think capitalism gave him this world and now they don't even want forget expansions they don't even want the type of socialism that gave him this world anymore they they really think um free market lesser fair social uh, capitalism is gonna gonna keep the the train chugging along and it's not even what even got them here like they think what got them here is gonna get them there which is um wouldn't be wrong if they were right about what got them here which they're not they think what got them here is um laissez-faire capitalism and quote-unquote freedom whatever that means and you know it's, it's not. <laughs> i mean how do we disabuse them of this notion though t you know i have no idea that's a great I question mean, because I, I think, you know, a lot of it is decades upon decades of, of propaganda and uh, all kinds of like uh, politically uh, misleading practices, um, you know, and, and really targeted messaging. I mean, we've got we got this these media and these social media bubbles. Um, I did want to ask you about um, social media, though, because I've been thinking and, and I, don't, I haven't heard this take on this question. So forgive me if if someone else has, has brought this up before, but we have these figures on social media. And I don't know why I'm just treating you as a social media expert. 
probably because you're one of my favorite commentators about Twitter, but um, um, it's like there's all these people who get deplatformed and and they complain uh, about it, you know, uh, from like a free speech standpoint, you know, freedom or for, for my freedom to to provide my views, et cetera, et cetera, is usually the tack they take. But I was just I I feel like my my gut instinct is that. A lot of the times what angers these people the most and what they have the most visceral reaction to is the fact that they're just used to getting a certain amount of feedback from their social media vis-a-vis likes and retweets, et cetera, et cetera. That when that just suddenly stops, they're like a drug addict that like is like jonesing and they're just like, and then ultimately that's what that's what pisses them off the most. And I uh, um, pisses who off the most? Like the people that have been deplatformed, you know, like they're just oh, cut, yeah, off, yeah. cut off from the feedback loop. Yeah, um, that dopamine, that dopamine fix. Yeah, because like they they really can get really. I remember I can't remember. There was one Fox commentator that was just like something she tweeted only got like a, like a two hundred retweets, and she was just like she acted as though like someone had just run over her dog. She was just so sad about it. Um, hold on, just give me one second. I'm just checking my Twitter right now to see how many likes I have right now. <laughs> okay. Um, anyways, I I don't know. I don't really have I don't really have a follow up question to that, but like. I wonder. I wonder if, like, the the addictive nature of all the social media is something that actually needs to be somehow woven into this whole like platform platforming slash freedom of speech discussion. Because if 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 what we're giving people is both a platform, or it's freedom of speech and a platform and some kind of addictive substance, you know, uh, aka a social media account, um, maybe we need to kind of problematize this discussion a little bit more. Yeah. Tease this out. Um, um, I don't really, I don't really know. I think about social media so much, and I hate that. Despite everything I say about it, like I'm still like addicted to it. Like I use it less than I did, but I still think I use it too much. Mm. And then the other thing that happens too is that I can go most of the day, or you know, a long time without using it and feeling okay. But it just takes biting the bait at one stupid tweet or whatever. And this is one thing I realized. I went through all my social media, deleting it, uh, all the old tweets. And it wasn't like, you know, one of those dirty deletes, like, oh, I have to delete my old tweets so that I don't get canceled or anything. I just wanted to get rid of as many tweets as I could just to um, kind of clear my head, you know, and just, um, I forget the lesson that we have the less things people will find and respond to and get you sucked back in. And I thought for some reason, I thought getting rid of a lot of tweets would be a good way to kind of get off the thing. Uh, So, you know, as I was going through it, I got this like master leader and the only thing I wanted to keep was anything that would be good for like expanding into an article or a podcast topic or something. So I just try to keep like a handful of threads in response to that. And and one thing I realized is, oh my God, when you reply to someone and gets caught in a, up in a conversation or a argument, you can easily just tweet like 50, 60 times without realizing it. It doesn't feel like it, you know? Like when you make a standalone independent tweet, those like take, more work and you know those you don't make as many of those as you think but it's it's the pointless conversations each one i looked at i was like this is such a dumb conversation why did i waste an afternoon arguing with this person about this conversation this is such a stupid 
stupid conversation. I, I only had the one beer. Why did I have to have four more? I don't know why the first one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You don't really feel it because there's a lot of one word replies in there. There's a lot of uh, snarky this and that. Someone does replies with like five tweets in a row and then you do a response to each one. And it's just, yeah, I was just like, man. So like one thing I try to do now, I don't always succeed, but I try to be very, very, very judicious about replying to people. I realize if I don't just uh, haphazardly like reply or just bite the bait on a lot of things, like that cures a lot of uh, excessive tweeting right there. You know, because, yeah, you don't get sucked into things. You don't get into, like, moods. Like, I see, like, a dumb tweet and I count to myself. Don't don't bite it. But it still doesn't work sometimes. Sometimes somebody replies to you on something or you see something so stupid, you can't help but correct it. And then you go down the rabbit hole. But I try to give myself, like, a limit of, like, three or four responses. And I just mute, mute the person if they're just insisting. I'm still going. But, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, I, I hate that I even have to do all this stuff. Like, like, it's not even like something fun, like, you know, marijuana or something like, you know, why is, why am I getting so addicted to this? It's not like, at least, at least like weed feels good. I I have a theory on it. By the way, uh, I'm going to probably join, I'm going to join Clubhouse soon. So I'll have to hit you up on Clubhouse speaking of social media. Um, Like, what if social media is so addictive because it's like, it just plugs into that part of your brain that activates when you're at like, let's say like a big boisterous party with tons of people, which is not something that'll happen to you regularly in life. And certainly not in the last 18 months or whatever, last 12 months, uh, 16 yeah. months. But like, imagine you go to a party, there's like, there's a, a house and it's just filled with like 150 people and you can, you know, there's people you know that you can talk to and interact with. There's strangers you can meet and talk to and interact with. And your, your, your brain is lighting up because you're in this social context and it feels good but uh you know in real life there would also probably be some anxiety there would be some uh, you might it might might be a little less safe quote unquote just in terms of like your whether you're shy and whatnot when you're online it's 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 just everything's easy 10 times easier a thousand times easier a million times easier and then our brains are like cybernetically hooked up to this interface now that's plugged into our our nature that that uh uh, our, our nature, the part of our nature that likes to socialize, but it's being put through this interface now. So the, then obviously there's also a company involved that's trying to profit and keep you addicted to it, you know? So I, I tell you, I, I tell you this, I agree with you. Just what I'm, what I'm curious about is why am I, it's a party for assholes though. That's the part, like I, I get the appeal of, a virtual version of the kind of party you're talking about. And I think that's what got me first on Twitter, but mm-hmm. it's now it's like all the cool people left and there's nothing but the most annoying assholes there, but I'm hanging on because I remember how the, how good the party used to be. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, it's because you just, they kept on the, you know, it's a for-profit party. So they just wanted to keep on inviting more and more people to the party and everyone who gets invited to the party, there's almost minimal consequence for being an asshole, but also just just it's 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 for the masses, right? So there's a lowest common denominator aspect to it. It's inevitably going to kind of re- recede into like a mean or an average, and therefore ev- everything just gets degraded because there's no curation, there's no subtraction, there's no division. It's all multiplication and addition, you know? Yeah, yeah, and 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 attrition, L- like like yeah. to the degree that there's. Um... 
subtraction. There's occasional ban here and there, but mostly people evade bans. They keep coming back if they really want to. I mean, what really makes people leave at the end of the day, I feel, is they throw in the towel. Like, they don't want to even try to get around a ban anymore. They're just like, screw this place. So So I think that happens. But, I mean, I just don't know why I can't leave. Like, I feel like it's like the drug addict. I mean, they say like with uh, hardcore drugs in general that um, in the beginning for most, it's in most, most drugs that are like truly addictive. They don't really, um, they say that they don't really give you the same high the whole time that at first you get a great high. Then um, you get tolerance. And by the end, you're smoking, you're using the drug just to feel normal, mm-hmm. not even to feel as great as the first time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, first you get like this great high, then you're chasing that high. Then you reach a point where you're not even trying to chase that high anymore. Uh, you just need it just to not feel like like uh, shit. And I feel like that's the stage that I met, I met with Twitter. I mean, like, it's... It, I never I feel mean, great off of it anymore. I just... I just feel weird and shitty if I don't get on it. Well, it's almost as though, I mean, the, the drug analogy, of, like, I would almost put that aside for a moment because, mm-hmm. again, with the drug, yeah, there's going to be, it's going to be really fun to start with. And then, like you said, it'll have that, that kind of trajectory. But, um, I mean, like, the, uh, the social aspect of our minds is something, like, a- anyone is capable of getting caught up and swept away in a really good party that they might happen to go to once in a while and kind of be a different version of themselves. Like you might say it's a situation where people's personalities actually can like blossom a little bit as well. They can kind of have come into their own distinct existence in this new social environment. I think social media has a lot of that for a lot of people, you know, it's like they're, they become kind of the, a, a different social media form of themselves. Um, you know, and, and I'm guilty of this as much as anyone sharing like Simpsons gifts and, and whatnot and being super impressed. Oh my God, I got 12 retweets on this Simpsons gift from my hockey podcast. Um, and there, there becomes a currency about that as well. Um, so, in a, but, but the, the thing is, it's like you're, you might, you're getting probably a really minimal uh, bit of like novelty and fun to start off with. And then the decline is, it, it, instead of just getting, instead of just having to do, keep on doing the drug to feel normal, it's more like the whole concept of socialization just becomes slowly degraded over time. The whole concept of friends, friendship, et cetera, just becomes a little more degraded and devalued over time until finally you're just like, well, like, is any of this real? You know, like, why, why do I actually care? But then you, but maybe degraded is the wrong word, just confused, you know? Uh, I don't think degraded is the wrong um, word. I would posit um, one of two things. Uh, I think you're right. But I would posit one of two things. I would say that we're both right, and both of them, both situations kind of uh, feed each other. As in, um, the fact that, okay, like, like for example, like what I'm describing about how you need it just to feel normal as opposed to feeling good, that is uh, officially in addiction uh, speak called tolerance. But one of the things that causes tolerance is that your dopamine receptors, your pleasure centers, your um, endorphins 
get kind of hijacked and put out of whack and your uh, reward system and your endorphin systems and dopamine are all um, the equilibrium is all messed up. So your taste buds get degraded, you know, for a food addict, you know what I mean? Like if you eat healthy and a little for and normal amounts for a long time, if you eat like something really junky, it almost like bombards your taste buds in a bad way. Like, oh, this is so salty and gross and whatever. But if you eat like that for days, weeks, months, years, you know, this just tastes like very normal, normal to you, you know, and like healthy food um, just tastes like really like blend, blend gross, you know, like, like I think so. So it's like that degradation of things leads to the tolerance and then uh, the tolerance leads to uh, further degradation because now you're ingesting more of um, the bad thing or you know, or, or taking care of yourself less, like, you know, um, doing less, less of the good habits or less of the good maintenance habits and that, et cetera. So like what I think you're saying, I think one of two things, either the two things we're saying are both true, but they're like in a vicious cycle with each other, or in a way they're kind of the same thing, just looked at different ways. Like, uh, it could be, is, could be is, dependent is, on the personality, you know, like some someone yeah. could get really, really addicted to Twitter, quote unquote, whereas another person um, could become really, really dejected by it over time. And then, oh, just, you know. Oh, yeah, totally. But I think either way, there's going to be a tolerance like uh, the person who gets really excited and stays excited. Um, what they might just be doing is just keep amping up there, just amping up their um take of it i don't know like like i don't think you can really stay as fully excited at least not with the same dose of a of any drug you start with i just don't think you can i just think dopamine doesn't work that way dopamine if you just keep Mm. bombarding it it just needs more like i think some people just unrepentant about just going harder like you know like there's some people that talk about their you know when you see what kind of alcoholic or drug addict they are they just um go hard until they um kind of have to crash or or die or something you know but it like is does does that same kind of like like a fail safe exist for something like social media necessarily i mean is it psychic yeah is there some kind of psychic know. fail safe that goes off into people's brains where they're like you know what i'm gonna eat pray love this motherfucker and they just go off on some journey and just you know cancel their self self subscription i mean some people quit it and I always want to know more about them, but a lot of times I can't find them because <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the problem. Like there's some people who quit who were on it a lot and were popular and had more followers mm-hmm. than me. And then they just up and quit one day. I always want to find like what happened to you. And, but I'm like, damn, they're not a real life friend of mine. I have no idea of checking them down. But I always I always want to know. I, I'm really always impressed by that, especially the ones. It's one thing if you have like, you know, a couple of hundred or a thousand or so followers and then you quit like you know i can kind of see that but some people have like a six-figure followers lots of engagement popular and it's like hey this is just toxic i'm done you know do you think do you think those people 
actually spend like do you think their hearts and minds are more closed to their friends after that point like in real life you know like you think oh yeah if you give up social media i'm going to invest all much this much more time in real life friendships but i bet they actually like have fewer friends and spend less time with them after something like that like i bet i bet their capacity for socialization is like now tinged i think said, it depends i think yeah. it depends i see your point and it might happen but I think it might depend on the spirit in which they left social media. Yeah. Like, I true. think if they left social media as in these people are miserable, this space is miserable. I want to consciously, you know, like, um, you know, if you quit like junk food because you want to eat healthy, like you're sick of being sluggish and how you look and whatever, then, you know, some people might even overcompensate the other way and really try to um, reconnect in the world and do all that stuff. But I think there's probably a lot of people like what you say that uh, they leave it, but they don't, but now their brains are too warped to, um, you know, go back to the way they were either. So, yeah, I think what you're saying exists. What I don't know is the proportion, like, mm. I think you're probably right that your style is probably a way bigger proportion, I would think. Mm. Well, if you're going to quit it right outright, I mean, quitting, quitting something, quitting anything that's that public is like always a bit dramatic. You know, if I, if I take karate lessons on the side and quit, you know, karate or like I get rid of my uh, bassoon that I, that I promised myself I was going to learn, that's no big deal. What, you know, if you, yeah, if you have 5 million Twitter followers or whatever and you quit Twitter, it's like kind of a dramatic thing to do because like why did you get those five million followers in the first place if you're just gonna up and quit like it's just it's a little yeah bizarre. i i know and that's what really impresses me with people who do that you just get a lot and just say yeah sidebar i got this super trippy keyboard mm -hmm. can you see that oh it's like it all lights up you i gotta recommend this because like honestly it's uh, like the most beautiful and soothing thing i'm tweeting 50 percent less just looking at this shiny keyboard Hold on, let me take a look because I actually don't have you on my screen. I was looking at um, something and I forgot to switch back. Hold on. Oh yeah, okay. Show, show me the keyboard. Hold on, here we go. Yeah, it's like one of those. Oh, is that one that split in two or? Uh, no, 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 no. But okay. I can't. The cord isn't long enough for me to pull it over to the camera. Oh, I see. I see. It's like so soothing. I feel like so at looks least. Really, look, oh, I see. It looks really nice. Oh, is that is that the Cohen headphones? C O W I N. Uh, the ones I'm wearing, yeah. Yeah, I so have the headphones. Those. Are, are yeah, they're okay. They were they were pretty good for especially for the price. I like I like them. They were very, they were yeah. very good. The only problem is, um, I was commuting with them, and they would keep breaking. So then I stopped. Mm. I stopped because uh, I ended up going through about two of them maybe did i get a third one i think i stopped at the second one like i really liked them and the price was good and i thought they were they were perfectly fine but they just kept um kept breaking so then there was a pair of sony on sale and then i just got the got the sony mm. um people look yeah, at you differently when you were in a nice a nice pair of wireless headphones you know yeah i mean the sony ones i got weren't like the top Sony, so it wasn't like it was something that really grabbed your eye, like wow. But 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 they um, what I liked about them was that they just they just lasted uh longer. Like the near commute is just you know, like how long is your commute? 
uh, well, it's like about 45, 30 to 45 minutes, but each way. Hmm. Uh, yeah. But Brutal. what hap- what happens is you're doing a lot of transferring, taking headphones on and off, oh, putting right, things yeah. in your bag. Um, it gets crowded. Things get banged up. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, you know, in terms of soothing behaviors, buying, buying consumer electronics is a good one for sure. I would say it's right up there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I didn't even buy this keyboard though. I got it for a gig. I, I signed a contract for my day job. Recently, oh, cool. So, um, the yeah. keyboard looks pretty good. Oh yeah. I love it. Now, now I just want kind of like bright, shiny, kind of like uh, strobing Christmas lights in like every room. Like maybe I'm like autistic or something. Um, the next time we record, you'll see me just in this like giant <laughs> harness. that's like squeezing my whole body. Um, I wanted to ask you, cause I was watching the, uh, well, to be honest, I was mostly just watching the media coverage of the uh, the recent Oprah interview with Harry and Meghan. So I watched the um, I watched the interview itself, and one thing that came out in the media was like talk, they were talking about the systemic racism of the royal family, and uh, Champagne Sharks has has done a lot to to uh, inspire me to consider some terms like uh, I can't remember who it is that came on your show, but they were talking about how they they never use uh, the term white privilege; they prefer white license. Um, uh yeah that was uh lewis gordon i always want to call right. him gordon gordon lewis even though i know better probably because of josh gordon levitt the gl yeah maybe um, that's what's going on um and uh i think i think it's really interesting too because when you think of a term like privilege like privilege has a lot of positive connotations and like you say people can be really stupid and i think sometimes um just having having something that could have multiple connotations in and of itself can confuse the matter. But I was just like thinking to myself, it's like, is it really systemic racism when you talk about like the British royal family and their handlers just being a bunch of fucking racists? Like, does does calling it systemic racism racism actually let the individual racist assholes within that organization off the hook in some way by saying, oh, it's like the system, man. It's not any one individual. It's like it's like in some cases, like you know, like the individuals are the ones actually. Um, enacting I mean, the racist policies that's the, like someone has to be the one you know yeah it's kind of weird right because I just feel like there's a lot of woke buzzwords now and people just kind of use them um, irresponsibly like for example they're part of the oldest system and oldest um, it's kind of weird in that it lets off the interpersonal racism off the hook in a way to call it systemic because it gives them the benefit of not having to name people right so it's like uh even now for all the props that harry's getting he's not naming anybody he's not saying who did what you know it's just kind of vague like people this that so i feel like systemic lets you off the hook when it comes to that but also what system are they blaming it on? Even that's big. So totally. Yeah, totally. The system at the end of the day makes it seem like there's a New York Times article talking about white privilege and Harry acknowledging his white privilege and white privilege just makes it seem like the white guy who gets hired for a job or who doesn't get pulled over by the cops or doesn't get followed around the store. Like a little bit different than being part of one of the longest dynasties in the history of time. (laughs) Exactly. Where your whole coffers your whole wealth is made off of colonial exploitation of non-white people you know whether it's the africans the indians the 
Asia, the, the East Asians, like you, that's where all the money comes from. Like, like, what does Europe have as far as uh, resources? Like, that's on that continent. Like, like dirt. Like, they don't have anything. Everything yeah. they have is from someplace foreign. Like, they've extracted everything from every other place on the. If you have like a resource map of Africa and a resource, a natural resource map of Europe, there's like nothing there in in, mm-hmm. in Europe, really. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like gold, diamonds, spices, um, um, eco well, I mean, diversity. Like, yeah, rub rubber was a big one for like Belgium. You know. Yeah. Yeah, King Leopold just basically like the the policies of that colonial For government Congo, are like yeah. fucking unbelievable. When you like, I I actually I'm ashamed to say I didn't know enough about it until recently. A few months ago, I watched a documentary. It was like, holy, like the dude was oh, like Hitler. It was like worse than insane. Hitler. Oh yeah, worse worse than Hitler. That was a bona fide genocide. Um, that's like uh, there's a there's a book called King Leopold's Ghost. That's great for that. And it's like the system you're talking about sounds like HR or sounds like. It's that vague Robin D'Angelo, Ibram Kendi, systemic racism. You're not. I mean, it's yeah. it's deeper than even like um, what people talk about when they talk about like slavery in America and the South. Like this is global, and it touched every single continent. It was like they said, the sun never sets on the British Empire. That's the kind of money, and they're still spending that money. You know, you, you know yeah. what I mean. So it's, it's like the systemic racism is both too small and too big at the same time. Like the two things you really need to talk about are who were the people, what's the interpersonal stuff that happened, and if you're going to talk about the system that enables the people, like really what talk system? about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The systemic racism that they're benefiting from is not the same systemic racism that uh that some kind of yuppie in London benefits from. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And understand the where where there's an intersection between individuals and and where they exist in the system. Like you can like that. Noam Chomsky had one quote one time where he was like, you know what, there could be a slave owner in the American South back in the day who was a nice guy. You know, went to church every weekend, was not even nice to his slaves, but like he's still institutionally a monster. And I think yeah, there's a exactly. lot of cases. There's a lot of cases of that where it's like, okay, well, who who wants to go become a border cop? You know, a certain type of person and you know, that border cop being a racist dick is partially a function of their own failings as a human being, as well as the systems that led to them being the preferred candidate for that institution. Hey, um, I don't know to what level you are, um, you ever keep track of, I mean, nobody should keep track of this stuff, but um, (laughs) sometimes you can't help it, but, do you ever keep track of like the horrible people on um, Twitter who are involved in politics who are like shills for the Dems, you know? So it's like they're really one of them be called being called Brooklyn Dad. Okay. Uh, well, there's a guy called Brooklyn it Dad. Rings a bell. Yeah, I've heard of Brooklyn Dad. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's Brooklyn Dad defiant, and he's always. Um, going in on people and you know caping really hard for the democrats and he's very like out there on twitter he's like um whatever and i'm blocked by him i think on all my accounts but nice but uh turns out it came out he's a paid 
democratic operative and he made mm. in 2020 at least um $60,000 about um 13 payments in all they started July 13th ended um December so for the last 6 months so oh yeah 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 this is like the payola scandal amongst like social media influencers Oh, is there more than one besides him? That that's there was some out? other municipal. There was like a municipal, a municipal government somewhere that was paying people on Twitter to like help toe the line. Oh, but it's not not a bad, not a bad little side hustle. But I mean, oh, it's not morally objectionable, perhaps. Oh, it's not. It's not. And you know, and you know what uh, happened too was that they. This is only like about half the year, so it really was kind of a six-figure gig if you could have done it for like a full year. Yeah, you know, so I mean, like, I, I, th I think that's really something that is going to be come. There's going to be a lot more scandals along those lines or a lot like there's going to be a little more interrogation of like, OK, well, like, should governments be actually paying people on the Internet to like tow the government line directly? Because obviously they should not be. But I mean, it's going to be happening now. You know, that's just that's the way we've, that's the way the whole thing, the system is primed and set up for. Um, yeah. Like. If you don't want to sell your soul, don't, you know, get get it inspected and have it insured and then do all the proper paperwork yeah. for selling it beforehand. Because we basically like the whole the whole Internet is one big kind of. Uh, uh, I don't know what would you call it. It's a patchwork of grifts, ultimately, a little bit to mm -hmm. a certain extent now. Um, yeah. Did you watch the interview? Have you seen it yet? Are you um, going to watch it? No, I. You know, the funny you know, thing is, I, I like I watched it with my girlfriend. And of course, uh, you know, my one friend on Twitter was like, hey, be sure to blame your girlfriend for having watched it. And then, like <laughs> I watched it, having, having not really like followed the story at all. It was it was more just like, OK, I'm so sick of seeing all this news coverage. It's so ridiculous that we even have that there's a royal family at all in this day and age, you know, the height of insanity. But I just want to understand the context under which the, PB, the BBC is publishing 14 stories a day on it. And I, I went into it, uh, you know, assuming I would still dislike uh, Megan or whatever, but she kind of won me over. But like my girlfriend is still totally like, oh, no, she's evil. Oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. Why Why does your girlfriend think she's evil in defense of the um, crown or as in, I don't like either of them. They can all have each other. Uh, I mean, a little bit of both, but also just like, you know, oh, she didn't know what she was getting into and and. She wasn't doing her job, probably. I mean, to be fair, she also fell asleep and missed a bunch of it while I was watching it by myself on the couch. Oh, which, is also, gotcha. which is also a funny moment to be in as a boyfriend where you're like, okay, well, they've passed out. Ostensibly, they're the reason I'm watching this. At the same time, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it for sure. Um, I don't know. I you know, Harry came off as kind of dumb to me. He's always he's always kind of seemed that way to me. I mean, I swear yeah. to God, like I'm just shocked that like I thought I thought in someone in that situation would would be taught how to speak very properly but he just sounds like a, to me he just sounds like a guy i, I met at a bar <laughs> yeah like, i, I, I mean, don't really get it it kind of makes sense in a way in that i just feel like no one's really held his foot to the fire with anything really i feel like it's a whole i mean because well let me put it like this the fact that he left the crown to become a netflix influencer I think says volumes. I think the kind of guy who was trained with media training and to talk and act a certain way wouldn't be in a situation to get with. He would not have married her. Not there's anything wrong with her, but um, if he internalized and indoctrinated 
the training of that system, he would never marry her in the first place uh, because he would have been too concerned what his family thought. And he would not be here in America making these deals and everything. And I don't even mean just far as her not being uh, noble or rich or her being black, but even just her being from Hollywood, from like a B or C list actress. I feel like. Yeah. Oh, she's such a Californian. It's like everything about yeah. her. You're like this. This person is from. This person is California, almost like personified. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I feel like they would have found that very coarse. Oh, what the British royal family? Yeah, uh, I mean the thing. The funny thing is, I think for most people, uh, they think, "Oh my God, she like doesn't even. She's not dark at all. I wouldn't have even thought she was mixed race or anything like that." But like, I'm sure every single time she appears on camera. You know the duke of whatever it's just like oh like those people are there talk about living in a different century i mean fucking come on give me a break they're living like way in the past um i wanted to ask you you think i mean i i just hope that this whole story helps to kind of um stem the tide of that that disney has been uh, creating where people are just like oh princesses princes and princesses and royalty is like this magical yeah. thing Ultimately, like Walt Disney, we have Walt Disney to thank for the enduring uh, power of that brand, ultimately. Um, yeah. But I mean, for God's sake, people, like we got to, like, uh, we really should have gotten over this by now, in my estimation, speaking as a kind of a bar stool soapbox prophet here. Yeah. Um, um, can you re ask the question? I'm trying to understand what you're asking. Oh, no, it's just like, I think. Because when you, when you really think about it, the British royal family is probably the old, the last bastion of this of the mystique of this this romantic. Because you know, no one no one really gives a shit about any other European monarchs. Um, all these people in North America watching like Disney movies, you know, don't necessarily probably probably aren't dreaming of becoming like the Prince of Thailand. Is Thailand still has is that the one that still has the king? Oh yeah, I think it does. Yeah, um, it's like monarchy. I I would be comfortable if if we phased it out of the you know the 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 whole kind of show uh, in the next like hundred and fifty years. Thank you very much. It would be fine fine to move on across the board. I think. And what was the tie-in with the Disney stuff? You picked, well, you it's like it's Disney. like has 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 this maybe perhaps broken the spell of like of like people who watch Disney and they think oh my god oh the, no the, the the prince is gonna marry no, no. no? you think it's no still not with at us? all yeah not at all with us no no because. Bit? Mm. spicy take i like it i like it i mean take. i don't i feel like when you see all these people doing takes on it they're still glad that they had their so-called black princess technically she's not a princess but she's a duchess but you know i think still people still think she accomplished something and i yeah. think i think the fact that they still think she's like but people this is my problem with the discourse around there is i see a lot of people especially in that representation mindset, still thinking that she broke barriers. Yeah. And you don't think somebody broke barriers unless you think what they broke barriers into is noteworthy. So the fact That's that they're point. still talking about her, like she broke barriers to me still says you value the thing. Like if, if, if people were like, Hey, what a dumbass!" I feel bad that she got, uh, I feel bad that she got, she faced racism, but you know, not my problem. You know, that would, because because I don't really value any of that. Mm. Um, you get what you deserve for, you know, marrying a corrupt institution into a corrupt institution like that. Yeah, yeah. That would that you would make, make that think, case. Yeah, that would make me think. Okay, uh, this is like where enough. But the fact that people are like, um, 
yeah, you know, we had our first black uh, princess or a duchess. And like, 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 this is how I think people, and I've seen people have some variations of this, right? And this is a great counter um, cult example in the culture right now is the, the Bridgerton thing, which did gangbusters mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and did well. A lot of people don't really blame the institution or the history. They just think this current crop is a bunch of... Uh, racist jerks you know and i've seen people act like they think bridgerton's real uh some increasing problem today with people that they can't tell fiction from oh my god um, reality um, yeah so so people are saying stuff like yeah i can't believe like what steps backwards we made like you know like uh oh my how, god how, really? how are we less yeah yeah people are like how are we less tolerant from the time of uh you know queen charlotte who wasn't who wasn't black right and Yes, yes. So people just think it's just a current crop of assholes, I think. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, well, very that, I mean, I, I'm really, I'm really glad that in keeping with the tradition of your, all of your appearances on Night Rule thus far, um, one of us has depressed the other greatly. That's a really <laughs> yeah, depressing thought, dude. Um, I'm going to have to wind it down here because my dinner plans are, uh, are motioning for me, but um, I did want to say, um, really appreciate you coming back on. It's always great talking to you. You're one of Night Rule's absolute favorite guests. Um, yeah, likewise, after after likewise, dinner, we will be I will be entertaining um, uh, some of the dukes and earls in the lower gentry in the in the reading room with for brandy and cigars. So please join us there later. Um, you've, uh, you've had a lot of really great champagne sharks uh, content lately, so people should definitely check that out. Um, and, yeah, thanks. Uh, I've been using the quarantine to catch up with all the guests that I asked but forgot to ever follow up on. So that's been that's been good. No, it's been great. Like, I think there's been like, a, it's been slightly more frequent than your normal release schedule lately. Am I right? Or is that just my perception? You know what? I'm not sure, but I think so. Because uh, yeah. I've, I've delegated uh, actually releasing the episodes to our editor. Like, I'm like, you schedule them, release them. Like, I'm just going to keep um, recording and putting things in, in the tank because I just feel like anything I could take off my plate and just to focus on, you know, doing the talent part i i uh enjoy so so yeah. yeah but 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 i think so because you'll keep telling me um yeah we're about due for some new episodes i'm like well, how can that be like i feel like i have so many in the tank so i yeah i have no idea but i think you might be releasing them faster than you used to mm. um well it's been great stuff so uh, i can cannot cannot recommend it enough to the night world listeners to go and check you out here um, and then you're on Patreon as well, right? Patreon.com slash Champagne Sharks. Oh, yeah. Patreon.com uh, forward slash Champagne Sharks for sure. Definitely check us out there. And also go to YouTube. Check out YouTube.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. We have a YouTube channel that's different in content and tone than the than the show. So definitely, definitely check that out and subscribe to us over there. We're trying to get like 10,000 followers in 2021 so yeah and uh any any listeners uh do the uh, you can also check uh, out uh, night roll at patreon.com slash night roll and my hockey podcast is on youtube handkerchief dynasty i think i'm gonna have night rule episodes up on youtube soon as well oh cool fun. yeah i have to invite you on for those and i think i might also be on clubhouse so i'll have to be I'll to make sure you're the first friend i add if i join on there oh um, thank you're, you're still you're still giving out clubhouse invites to the people who join your patron Oh yeah, yeah. I still am. If you need one, then just just let me know too. That's not that's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. We score. We, yeah, yeah. We have a bunch. So yeah, just, just let just let let us know. And same for your same for your listeners. If you become a patron, then um, 
just come to our discord and we'll we'll hook you up awesome t enjoy the rest of your night dude and uh i look forward to our next uh conversation all right man be good yeah you too take care take care Today's intro is from Koshi Maharu, and the outro will be from Aran Tomoko. Um, both these tracks were featured on the last mixtape that's up on the Patreon for our patrons. So if you're really into the music and you're digging it, um, you should sign up there at patreon.com slash nightrule. You'll also get access to special episodes, uh, get access to episodes early, um, and access to uh, all manner of love and admiration from yours truly over the interwebs. So yeah. Just a heads up about the Patreon. Uh, we'd love to see you over there. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us for this special uh, Champagne Sharks Night Rule. Um, we're always so glad to see you. We think you're a wonderful person. You dress very well. And uh, everyone is always saying nice things about you. So keep up the good work and uh, much love. And we'll talk to you very soon. Hey.